Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Man, Rocky, I, I don't know about you, but I kind of look back over the last few months and there are moments where I'd say, man, I just don't feel steady. And I think in all the craziness of our world and things going around us, I think we all have to admit we've had moments. And it is good to sing those words as we begin this morning just to say, hey, even when we're not, man, he is. And, and so I just want to encourage you, no matter what is going on in your life, just remember that Jesus is steady. And he is the one that we need to lean on. And we're going to talk about that today a bit. But before we get there, I want to give you just a little bit of information. Matt said at the beginning that we're going to talk a little bit about our reentry plan. And I know you're excited about it. I'm excited about it. And so a couple weeks ago, I stood up here and I just kind of shared with everyone and said, let me give you a time frame. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get specific, not about details as far as what it will look like when we reopen, but what we're going to get specific today on is dates. And so first phase for us as Rocky to begin regathering physically will not actually be on a Sunday morning. So we're going to have an opportunity. We're going to do it on a Wednesday night at both campuses. So we'll do one one week and one the other week. We'll do July 29th. At 6.30, it's a Wednesday night um, at the Niwak campus. We're going to have about 35, 40 minutes of worship. And then we're going to have fellowship and fire pits and hang out after. And then the following week, what we're going to do is the same thing at the Frederick campus. And so we'll do that on August 5th, Wednesday night, 6.30. Same program, same worship opportunity, same fellowship, fire pit night. It's going to be a blast. And I'm excited that there probably is some of you who haven't actually been to our buildings, that that might be the first time that you take a step, that you jump through, not our doors, but onto our property and connect with us and get to meet some of our staff and some of our people and begin engaging with the family. And so we're going to call that Rocky Outdoors. And so remember the 29th at Niwot and, and the 5th at Frederick. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of time, take a couple weeks to actually just get our processes set, practice those with volunteers, do that kind of thing. And then on August 16th, on August 16th, the doors will be open at both campuses where we can walk in and worship together and see one another. A couple weeks ago, we had our, our food drive. And I think one of the best things about the food drive, besides the people that we helped, was the connections we made. I stood out there in that parking lot at the Niwak campus and people pulled up and pulled down their windows and gave fist bumps and jumped out of their cars and said hi. And just the smiles of being together were phenomenal. And so August 16th, our regular service times, and here's the goal. The goal is this, it, it is not just to, to revert back to physical gatherings. The goal is when we gather on August 16th, you have the choice to gather however you decide to gather. And so if you don't feel comfortable yet jumping back in physically, man, you have the online option at 9.15 and 10.45 and 7.30 live online to reconnect with the Rocky family and hear the same worship services and participate together. But if you're sitting there and saying, man, for my own just relational health, for my spiritual health and for my connection with the body of believers, I need to be physically in person there. Then those doors are going to be open for you. We're going to be excited to just gather together and worship and be back together as a church. But we'll be doing it online and in person. So anticipate that. Let's get that on our calendars. And here's the last thing I'd ask you to do is I'd ask you to be praying. I stood up here the first week that we had to close our doors and so, man, our leadership has been praying, our staff has been praying, and here's what we believe. We believe that we're going to come out on the other side of this stronger than we were before. Now, if you would have told me that we would have gone four months, 
four months right now and, and another five months without meeting in person, be as healthy as we are and, and be as, reaching out to as many people as we are, I would have said you're crazy. But man, God is faithful. He has provided. He has provided through you inviting your friends to be online with us. And the, the reach has been incredible. He's also provided through your generosity. And I want to encourage you to continue that. Man, we are going to come out of this stronger. And I want to ask you right now, before we jump into the message, just encourage you, why don't we bow our heads right now and let's ask God and pray and ask that that be true and that our regathering online and physically in person will be incredible and help us even reach more people than we have been. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather together today online in hundreds of homes across our area and even beyond, we do want to ask that that prayer would be true. Father, we ask that you would allow our church to be even stronger at the end of this than we were at the beginning. Father, I pray that our reach would reach even further. I pray that our connection, even though we've been disconnected and not in person together, that your spirit, as it says, keeps us united together in one body. I pray that you would keep us united. Father, help us to be praying for the success of that relaunch. Uh, the success of that reentry, the safety of our people, all of that. But, Father, most of all, that the gospel will be seen and the Great Commission will be expanded. Father, today I just want to pray a special prayer for those who are not feeling steady. Father, I pray today they will be reminded of their identity and that that would bring clarity, calm, and connection with you. Through getting back to what is most important, swinging at the right ball. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think most of you know, I, I talk about it a lot, but most of you know that my sport of choice is basketball. Like if you've been around this place at all, even in this COVID time frame, you just heard me talk about how, how important sports has been to my life and, and also to, to my family's life. There's a lot of relational connection that happens around that. Honestly, a lot of ministry that has happened over the years throughout sports, and basketball would be the game for me. Now, interesting enough, what you may not know is that when I was younger, I started off with baseball. I think every kid does, right? It's, it's an easier sport. Dads usually get out and coach their kids. And, and I remember my dad coached my little league teams, and I loved it, man. Just being outside, right, hearing the crack of the bat in the summer sun and just playing, it was, it was just great memories, Enjoyed it a ton. Now, interesting enough, when I say basketball is my sport of choice, you might figure out that I had an issue that kept me from being coming a baseball player that continued. I'll get to that in a minute. But here's the thing. I, one of the reminders, one of the reminders that's given in baseball, every sport has reminders, right, that we give in basketball or football or whatever. But baseball, the most common reminder that you receive is to keep your eye on the, say it to somebody next to you, right, keep your eye on the ball, right? Everybody says, you hear, I remember my dad saying it constantly to me, keep your eye on the ball. And if you don't, man, it severely affects your batting average. When I got older in baseball, it became a little bit harder to keep my eye on the ball, right? Pitchers did a little bit different things with the ball, right? And as they got older, throwing curveballs and sliders and other things. But I remember I had this tendency, I would step into that batter's box and I did great in batting practice. Man, in batting practice, my dad would always say, keep your eye, watch the ball connect with the bat. And I do it line drive into center field, line drive into right field constantly. But here's the thing. When I got older and then we got into those games and it was in high school or middle school or whatever. And that umpire's behind me and we got jerseys on and the crowd's watching. I had this tendency when that pitcher would throw that ball and it would get close to the batter's box. I would pull my head out because I was swinging for the fences. Man, I wanted to send that ball over the fence and I would swing and pull my head out 
take my eye off the ball, and it'd be a massive swing. And that umpire would say, strike one. Step back in there. Do it again. And I'd have this tendency to do the same thing. Pitcher, I'd see it coming. It looked like a great pitch. And I would swing for the fences and pull my head out, take my eye off the ball, strike two. And then it would be, strike three, you're out of there. I remember my batting average. Actually, I won't tell you my batting average, my freshman year of high school, but that was the last year that I played baseball because I couldn't keep my eye on the ball. And friends, I, I would just say this. I think in this confusing time, I think Christians and non-Christians alike, but especially Christians, we are having a hard time keeping our eye on the ball spiritually. You see, it's, it's interesting when you, when you look at our time frame and everything that is going on right now, there's a tendency, there's a statement that's become vogue in our culture that says this, I identify as. And whatever you identify as, there's a million different things to identify as, Republican, Democrat, Christian, non-Christian, BLM supporter or not, LGBTQ member or not, mask or no mask, vaccinate or don't vaccinate. Man, the list can literally go on and on. And here's, here's the issue. What used to be boiled down into just a few different identifications the center identifications has turned into literally hundreds of identities or identifications centered around social, economic, and cultural issues. And probably in our culture today, I would refer it to as, as an identity culture, but many would refer to a term that's been used since the 70s that would be called identity politics. And whatever identity you identify with is the ball that we seem to be swinging at. And the one pitch, the one pitch that God has given us to swing at in our identity in Christ, it seems like right now with all the confusion and all the craziness going on, we as Christians have a tendency to pull our head out and miss the pitch. And it causes confusion. Man, it is causing angst and anger and it is causing division, not just in our society, but it's causing division even in our churches. Even between Christians. I tell you, I, I have been increasingly concerned with the identity culture or the identity politics of our age that is developing around us. Increasingly concerned about the fragmentation and division that we see in our culture. Increasingly concerned about the anger that is shown toward anyone who disagrees with me. On both sides of the aisle. Increasingly concerned about a society that seems to have no anchor to identify with. And I can tell you right now that we have an issue with the problem of identity politics. Because just because I said that word or that idea, some of you just kind of curled up. A couple people may have turned it off. Man, what are we talking about? Some of you have said, Sean, don't, just don't go there. Don't talk politics. I'm not going to talk politics. I, I think I'm talking spirituality. And I would step back and I would say this, do you realize that 2,000 years ago, things haven't changed much in 2,000 years because the same idea of identity culture or identity politics is what got our Savior crucified. Like if you really want to step back into it and look at the division that was in Judaism, the division that was in Jewish culture and how people divided around different ideas and Jesus came in preaching one thing, our identity in Christ, our identity in God is being created in the image of God. And it didn't jive with the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the teachers of the law or this sect or that sect. And so they demonized him. 
And they paid off a crowd. And they brought him before the Roman government. And ultimately he was crucified because of focusing people on being made in the image of God. You see, folks, today I, I just simply want to talk about today how our identity informs our reality. I'll talk about this idea of how our identity, identity in Christ should be the ball that we are keeping our eyes on and making contact with and seeing clearly to be able to navigate all the different issues of our world. And when we do, I promise you that the, that the angst and the anger and the division and the confusion of this world gives way to clarity. It gives way to calm, and it actually provides connection with God, connection even with people that we don't agree with, and it provides influence to take the image of God into other people's lives. Interesting uh, article that I read two months ago, or a few months ago, was actually back in February before all of this started. Back in February, a guy named Albert Moeller wrote an article where he addresses this idea of identity culture and identity politics, and here's what he says. He says, this ideology reduces, so the ideology, identity politics, whatever you center your life around one specific identity. He says this, this ideology reduces human beings to a certain set of distinguishable identities that are more prized and valued than other identities. So what it does is it takes some people up here that are part of those identities, and if I agree with that, it ratchets up their value. But if I do not agree with that, it decreases their value. It says it establishes basic human identity in differences rather than a commonality shared amongst all humankind. And man, if you resonate with anything I'm saying right now today, or if you just actually watch the news or look around in culture, or if you check out social media, you can see that everyone is rallying around and identifying across differences. Not commonalities. We are pointing out how different we are than everyone else. And clarity, calm, and connection actually come. They actually come when we focus not on our differences, but all focus on the commonality that brings us together in God. So what is the answer? Here's what he says. It's a long quote. I'll give you the rest of it. It's long, but I think it needs to be said. The biblical worldview is the only antidote to identity politics. Intersectionality erodes the bedrock of civil society, I mean civility, and dismantles decorum, how we treat each other, precisely because it is predicated on differences. If you are different than me, I will not care for you. It will only tolerate and celebrate divergence and divisiveness. The Christian worldview, however, offers a powerful response to identity politics. The biblical reply does not deny the reality nor the importance of identities. Whatever our identity might be, our race, our gender, any of those different things. The biblical reply does not deny the reality or the importance of identities to the human story. It does, however, begin with what unites all humanity, the imago Dei. That idea is the Latin translation of the image of God. That you and I were created in the image of God first and foremost. And that gives value to our identity and to who we are. The biblical worldview starts in sameness, not in differences. It grounds the value of an individual in something more transcendent than experience, background, race, or gender. It starts with the image of God that resides in every human being on the planet. 
Humanity stands united by virtue of our common descent from Adam and Eve. Christians, therefore, do not reject identity politics and intersectionality merely because of its failure as an ideology, but because it denies the common bond that beats in the heart of every human. We are made in God's image. That idea is precious and most to be, uh, to be cherished. Man, we... What Oliver Moeller is saying there is that what we all understand in Genesis, the first few chapters, what God says, he said, let us make them in our image. And so no matter what our differences are, no matter what our skin color is, no matter what our background is, no matter what our race is, no matter what, uh, what our family comes from, no matter where our politics are, no matter where those things, we have, an, we have an, a common identity that comes back to you and me being created in the image of God, it gives value and it transcends any other ideology that we want to center around. And not only does it transcend that, and it gives value to our lives, what it does is our identity in God as being made in his image ought to inform. It ought to inform our reality and how we see everything else in this life. Now it's interesting. 2,000 years ago, the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's writing to a church that has not changed. <laughs> Didn't change from Jesus' day where the ideologies and the ide- identity culture, all of that, it was still the same. It might have had different people involved because Corinth was a pagan city that was located in a Gentile area. So people who came from all kinds of worship backgrounds, people who came from all kinds of race backgrounds, All kinds of different ideas and beliefs about this world were gathered together. And Paul is trying to figure out, because all those ideas were being brought into the church. He's trying to figure out, how do I teach them? What do I say? What do I wrap them around to help them understand that there is a guiding principle? There is a north star that should inform everything we are and give value to who we are as people. So he uses this illustration. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting, or just, we're just going to take two verses. Verses 12 and 13. He says the human body, there's the illustration. He takes all of us and everyone in that church of Corinth, and he says you're part of the body. Everybody, every part is different. It has a function in the body, but it says the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body, one identity. A group of people that come together under the commonality of being made in God's image. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves. And some of us are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit together. Paul takes this illustration. If you just go through chapter 12, you're going to find all kinds of different applications for it. First of all, he says, man, the body's diverse. And if you look around at our church, you just see the diversity of the body. Diversity of different backgrounds, you see diversity of different cultures, the diversity of even some different languages, the diversity of different race. But it all comes together. It's interesting, even in that time, 2,000 years ago, the church was struggling with identifying with or accepting people that were different than their heritage or background. So Christianity came out of a Jewish background. 
Jesus was a Jew that came to fulfill the law and actually give a new way and to give his life, not just for the Jews, but for everyone. But the church had this issue with diversity of saying, no, 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 you're different, so you don't belong. The gospel came to dispel that myth. The gospel came to say that diversity in the body is beautiful. The diversity of people and stories and backgrounds and cultures actually is beautiful because what it does is it gives us a more accurate picture of Christ. Because if you want to go all the way back to Genesis, what you understand is that every single person, every single background, every single race, every single culture is made in the image of God and gives a more accurate picture of the beauty of who God is. So the gospel celebrates diversity. God, Paul says, we're one body. And then he goes on and he says, in that body you have a function. Like you've been actually given gifts and there's a whole section in there that's given to, to spiritual gifts and how God has given you special gifts and abilities and talents that are to be used for the common good. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to help you function in those gifts for the common good of the church and the community. But man, the real thing that Paul's getting down to and saying is a deep thought. He says, church, you are the body. In all your differences, in all your crazy different stories, in all the places you come from, you are the body. And what he was saying is that the physical body of Jesus that did all those miracles, that taught such incredible things, that literally changed the face of history, is gone. And now the body that exists is the collection of the individuals that come together in a community that make up the body of Christ. And if Christ wants to accomplish his mission, he needs you to do it. That's why he's gifted you. That's why he's placed you in the place of the church where you connect with people and you can serve, but you can also serve outside in the community. He says, he says when I want someone to be taught, I need someone to do the teaching. When I want someone to be healed and to be taken care of physically, then I, I need a doctor to jump in and to help take care of that. When I want a marriage to be encouraged and counseled, I need someone that can jump in and help do that. When I have a neighbor that I want to be taken care of, I need a neighbor that will be the hands and feet of Jesus and get over there and be the body of Christ. You see, what, what Paul was saying is that you and I are the body. And if the mission is going to be accomplished, if we are going to keep our eye on the ball and help others be able to see the pitches as we see them, as we should see them, so that God can transform their life, we need to understand that we have to keep our eye on what's most important. And you see, the diversity and the giftedness and the mission side of the body, none of that can be accomplished and be celebrated if we don't understand one thing. Verse 13, there's two words that stand out to what Paul is saying, and it's the idea of identity. If we do not understand our identity that is the umbrella which the body functions under, that informs everything we do, if we don't understand that, we will not carry out the mission that God wants for us. You will not experience the calm, the clarity, and the connection that you were looking for. And here's what he says, some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some of us are free, some of us are Republicans, some of us are Democrats, some, some of us are support this, some of us are support that, some of us, some, of us are, some of us are this race and that race. We come from all different places. But he says this, but we have all been baptized into one, there's the word, into one body by one spirit. 
And we all share, here's the other word, the same spirit. Do you realize when you become a Christian, the Bible says that you place your faith in Christ. And then you identify yourself with the body. And the way Christ identified himself with us is that he went to a cross. And the beauty of the gospel story is it says he didn't go to the cross just for the Jews. He went to the cross for everyone. And I'm so glad because I'm not from that background. I'm a Gentile. I am a non-Jewish person that Jesus said this is for all people. And he died for everyone. And he identified himself in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He identified with our sin. And he said, I receive your sin. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God says that he made him who had no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us. So that we might be the righteousness of God. You see, he identified with us on the cross, took our place and our punishment so that we could identify with him. And then Romans 6 gives this beautiful picture. He steps in and he says, when we identify how we, we place our faith in Christ, and he says how we identify is exactly what Paul says here. Paul says we are baptized into one body. Paul says when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. Buried into the waters of baptism, being able to be raised to a new identification, a new life in Christ. Receiving your identity that had been marred by your sin back. Connecting with the cross of Christ. You see, what Paul is saying is, I don't care where you come from, what your background is, what your race is, all that. We identify with Christ through being baptized in him, placing our faith in him. And we are raised into a new identification. And then that identification begins to inform everything about our life. It's interesting, we said that that identification is, is going back to Genesis and we are made in the image of God. Well, it extends all the way through the gospel, not just for Genesis. You were made in the image of God. Sin marred that image. And God created a plan to bring us all back. And at the cross... And at our moment of receiving him through our faith and being baptized, we identify with Jesus and become a follower of him. And man, I just want to ask you today, have you done that? Have you identified yourself in a way that says, I am a follower of Jesus. That is the identity that will define my life. And I will allow that identity to inform the reality in which I see. If you haven't, I, I want to encourage you simply, if you're on our website, to hit that button that says my decision. And to click that button that says baptism. We will get a hold of you and we will connect with you. Man, if you want to reach out, if you're on another platform, I'd encourage you to email us at rocky, or info at rocky.church. And we will get with you, connect with you, and help you make that decision. But it is the beginning of what begins to transform everything about our lives. When we become Christians, when we are baptized into Jesus, we identify with one thing. And as Christians, it is all for us the same thing. And it is Jesus. We unite around our identity in Christ. Now back to the illustration of baseball for a second. Here's where it got really sticky for me. Uh, it got difficult for me when I got a little bit older and got into high school. I remember I played my freshman year of high school. And pitchers, man, they threw that ball different. I remember I stepped into the batter's box and then we were in one particular game. And I was lucky I, was, I would swing left-handed. Because I, I remember our pitcher. Our pitcher got into the batter's box and he's stepping up there. And, you know, pitchers are notorious for not being great hitters, right? 
And our little guy, Corey, he was a great kid, but not a great hitter. And I remember it was the first time we played up against a varsity team. The varsity team came down, or JV team, and, and uh, they had a pitcher, man. He had a great curveball. And it was interesting. Corey stepped into that batter's box, and that pitcher threw that first pitch. He threw a curveball, and Corey stepped back, and instead of swinging, Corey sat down in the batter's box because he thought the pitch was going to hit him. It was a curveball. That ball came out and around and came right in. That umpire said, strike one. Corey struck out on three straight pitches. The first two, he sat down on curveballs. Now, here's the problem. If you're a baseball player, you're probably laughing at him. But I was sitting there going, man, I don't know how to see that ball. And I'm glad I'm left-handed. And I struck out three times that day because I couldn't hit that kid's curveball. You see, what baseball coaches will do is they will actually teach a baseball player to see the pitch coming out. They'll actually take tape and put it on a baseball, colored tape, to where when a pitcher throws that ball, you can see the spin and identify the pitch as soon as it comes out of a pitcher's hand to be able to know, is it worth swinging at or not? Being able to be able to see that pitch and keep your eye on the ball to be able to swing and make contact and hit that ball. You see, I think what has happened in our culture today is the identity that defines us ought to inform us And we're having a hard time because we're identifying with all these differences instead of coming back to the one commonality that defines everything in our life. You know, when I I say that our identity ought to inform our reality, here's what I mean. There's a huge issue around rights out there right now. Huge issue on all sides of the political spectrum where we are looking at and we're saying, well, we ought to have rights for this and we ought to have rights for that. And they're infringing on our rights and all these different things. And one of the things that I've been convicted about is really coming back to the situation of saying, well, if we are sitting here in life today, man, what should inform how we see all of those issues? Is it our background? Is it our opinion? Is it our political persuasion? Man, if you want to keep with the scripture that Paul is talking about, he says, man, we are baptized into one body. We have one spirit. And what we are looking at is we have a faith that is centered around one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And he is the one, if he is the designer, we are made in God's image, then he gets to be the definer. He gets to be the one who defines what we see on every issue. And what I see right now is so much energy and effort being put into every opinion that we have. And I have the question, is would Jesus actually be swinging at the ball we're swinging at? Would Jesus put as much effort into swinging away? Or are some of us standing there in that batter's box and those pitchers are being thrown by the world and we're pulling our head out and we're swinging away and we are missing by a mile because we're not centering on the one thing that should inform everything. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And I don't say them to be provocative. I don't say them to be controversial. I say them to make you think. Because there are some things in life that are really important, but they're not eternal. And we should be putting our effort toward what is eternal. Let me ask you this question. I, I, I heard someone say a while back on this issue of rights and freedom of speech and freedom to gather and all of those things which I think are incredibly important. I don't know if they're eternal. I heard one pastor ask the question, and he said, and I think it's a good question, he said, Which is more important to you, the Constitution or the Great Commission? 
Both are important, I believe. But when you step back in, one is eternal. And the Great Commission and the kingdom of God has outlasted every country and every great civilization that has ever lived. And the kingdom of God will outlast the United States of America. And I hope the United States of America lasts for many, 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 many years to come. But the kingdom of God will be eternal. And so my question is, is how much effort and energy and time are we putting into important things as opposed to eternal things? If I asked you how much time you've put in to loving your neighbor or checking on a police officer or a person of a different race or, or checking in on whatever or serving someone in our community or inviting someone to hear the gospel or sharing your faith with someone is hurting or some of these other important issues, I wonder if they'd be out of bounds. You see, if the kingdom of God is supposed to inform everything we're about, the rights on the other side when we talk about life, the right to life and the right to choose, you have to ask yourself the question, where would Jesus stand on those issues? And if he is the creator, I think he stands in a position to say every life, no matter how small, no matter how early it is, is valuable. Because I created it and I have a plan for it. I think every single person, my right to choose or my right to choose my orientation or whatever, he says, I've got a plan. And what we simply have to step back and do is allow our identity to inform our reality. And man, students out there, I want to encourage you that there are many, many loud voices, but I want to ask you the question, have you ever even gone to research what the Bible says or what God says or what Jesus says about those issues out there? Because here's what happens. If you're actually looking around the world today, you see the uniting around all of our differences. What is it doing to our world? It is fracturing it. We are angry at each other. We are divisive with each other. And you look in the small pockets where you see Jesus and you see him and people uniting around him. You see clarity, you see calm, and you see connection, and you see health. And so come on, church. It is time for us as a church to unite around the sameness, our unite, our, what unites us in our identity in Christ, not around what divides us, and allow our identity to inform our reality. It was interesting, Jesus gave us some reminders. On the last night before he went to heaven, he met with his disciples and he said, I want to give you a reminder every week to do. And it was what we call communion, what is mentioned in scripture as the Lord's Supper. It was a Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples and he sat there with them and he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of what's going to happen in the next 24 hours as I will be put on a cross for you. As I will shed my blood to wash your sins white as snow, as I will give my body as a substitute in place for you, for you to be reconnected with God. And to be reconnected with an identity that defines your reality. See, Jesus came not to give us a new ideology, but to help us become a new people. A people that wasn't based on a race, wasn't based on a tradition, but based on the commonality that we are one in Christ and we have an eternal purpose and an eternal spot in heaven waiting for us. 
And man, I want to invite you today, first of all, if you haven't made a decision for Christ, some of you may sit there, and this may have been a little difficult. You may have said, man, I don't like what he talked about, some of those political issues. Hey, if we step up further, what's going to exist beyond this life? It's the identification with Christ. And what you see in Scripture over and over and over again is those who identified themselves with Christ did not have the easiest life, but they found calm. They found clarity, and they found connection with God and connection with people that lasted. So even if you don't right now totally agree with what I'm saying, what I would challenge you to do is allow your identity in Christ to inform your reality. And I want to give you an opportunity right now just to pray and ask God as we take communion. I want you, you, Matt told you to do it. You grab some supplies. I want you just to grab that piece of bread right now and be reminded that Jesus stepped in for you. And I want you to take that piece of bread. Just pass it around to whoever you're with or if you're individually, just go ahead and take it right now and be reminded that he stepped in because he loves you and you're valuable. And I want you to take that cup of juice or cups of juice and just pass them around the room and and I want you to take those remembering that when Jesus died, it was brutal and his blood was shed. The life that is in the blood was drained out of his body to be given to you that your sins might be wiped out, that you might have life coursing through your veins, the spirit of the living God that identifies you. You take that right now. And then what I'd encourage you to do is lay out a challenge to God right now to first of all, identify yourself with Christ and say, Jesus, I'm with you. I recognize your death, burial, and resurrection right now. I'm thankful for that, but I wanna put a challenge out there and just say, the most difficult issue in my life, Jesus, would you inform my reality through your identity? Would you teach me what I should see? Would you teach me what I should stand for? Would you teach me how to swing at the right ball and to see the pitch as you're throwing it to me. Father, we come before you right now today and as people take just a few moments to take communion and to meditate, Father, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would remind them that our identity in Christ overshadows anything else in this life. Father, help us to reassess, help us to reassess how we treat people because Jesus treated people who were different than him with love. He tells us to love others as he loved them. Father, I pray that we would look at what we believe and then we would look at how we treat people. Father, we're so thankful for your grace. We love you with all our hearts. And Father, we ask that you would continue to teach us to see life as you see life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanna encourage you to take just a few more moments and. Enjoy that time of communion together. You may want to just take a time if you're with someone else and just pray. And just pray that prayer together to, to say, God, help our identity in you. Define our reality. If you have kids sitting there, you might talk about your identity a little bit and what that actually means and, and how it does inform our life. I mean, it's great to see you, Rocky. I'm looking forward to seeing you next Sunday. And I want you to mark your calendars for the 29th and the 5th and the 16th. Can't wait to see the smiles on your faces. You guys have a great day, and we'll see you next time.